like this. What? Yeah. Is this designed? Is this designed to so people quit talking over each other? What you do? It seems like a good idea, but what you do when you're in a work context and somebody hits you with a about your appearance? <laughs> you know, smiley face with the tongue sticking out. Somebody hits you with the the. The yummy face. The in yummy a face. And then somebody just hits you with a no context <laughs> peach. peach. Oh no. Yeah, these reactions. That's a bad update. This is a bad say. update. A lot of no good stuff's coming from this one. Well it's honestly it's kind of I think it's kind of half assing it because you could do like what FaceTime does with like the uh you know, like you can turn your whole face into a mouse face. <laughs> you can't do that here. Imagine, imagine you're working at CNN two years ago, and uh, uh, what's his name, Tubin pops up doing the mouse face <laughs> on Zoom. He's doing his whole face is a teddy bear, but he's ex- he's jacking off, but with like a teddy bear <laughs> face. I mean, that's what I'm doing right now. I've got the I've got my hand raised, and I'm a mouse face. And a lollipop. I got a lollipop in my mouth. This well, is a real shame. I'm I fixing to hit you with some claps because I think oh. what we need is nice uh, some more girl boss war criminals. <laughs> <laughs> Clap if you feel me on that one. I feel you. I feel you on that for sure. It's a shame I don't post these actual videos. You just have to trust us that we we've got our React game is on point. Yeah. 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 Dude, oh, what's there, going on in the world? Well, dude, there is um you know how like okay. You know how the TikTok account that posted the giant standing on a mountaintop. Did you hear about the TikTok uh, giant? I heard about this. You heard about it? Yeah, listen. Let me just, I'll just make a couple quick comments before you get into a couple things. One, two years ago, the exploration of the weird and the occult and the paranormal and all this was, seemed interesting, almost quaint, you know what I mean? I mean you, you, even you got into Unsolved Mysteries there for a while, you know, the old Robert Stacks, you yeah, know? That wasn't new for me, though. I've always been, I've always been an Unsolved Mystery head. Yeah. Well... I think we need to put some of this to bed. <laughs> Interesting. The giant being one of them? Or maybe, or I know what my critics would say, well, Tom, uh, it, it seems like the CIA's gotten to you too, and and you don't believe that we killed a giant in Afghanistan, obviously. <laughs> but we did. <laughs> well, the the funny thing about that... The funny thing about employing giants as a war strategy is that it's been tried, right? Like, obviously, there's the famous David and Goliath example. Uh, But there is another example that hails from our very own Letcher County, Kentucky. That's right. It's true. That's right. I'm talking about the, the giant... Martin Van Buren Bates. The giant of the Confederacy. <laughs> Dude. Yes. 
It's true, folks. The Confederates <laughs> rolled out a literal giant. <laughs> and that giant was from Whitesburg. <laughs> he was seven foot nine, and Look. also his wife was seven eleven and a swan fox, but she came from Canada <laughs> where they tend not to stare at you when you're freakishly tall. Yeah. They say his voice rumbled like a bellowing bull. That reminds yeah, his bo- his voice rumbled like a bellowing bull, is what one person said. He he, uh, he signed up for a 12-month stint in the 5th Kentucky Infantry in Whitesburg as a private in the Confederacy during the Civil War. Um, in a state, mind you, that was neutral. Neutral. And also, the funny thing about that is every resident of Letcher County knows about Martin Van Buren Bates, but all of them swear up and down that there was no confederacy here <laughs> dude it's like it's not really that hard to figure out <laughs> why was a man that tall and large racist like why did he have to be like that's so much racism like per square yeah. inch that's a lot per of square inch. he may be the biggest racist of all time <laughs> if you can name me a bigger racist than martin van buren bates in terms of <laughs> per square inch <laughs> Uh, then, yeah, it's true. What if he was one of those guys that's like, he goes to the 5th Infantry to sign up, and he's like, now, boys, I don't really believe in the cause, but, uh, you know, I won't turn my back on, you know, like people say, like, Robert E. Lee didn't even own slaves, but he refused to turn his back on Virginia. Uh-huh. Like, what if Martin Van Buren Bates had some arcane, like, pay that reason for joining the confederacy like he was just a, a big states rights guy yeah he's he for him it was about we had a, a school teacher in high school that like to teach the civil war he literally made us do this song that was like sectionalism slavery and states rights <laughs> oh, really yes they so let me get this straight. You went to a school where they taught states rights to the tune of Baby Shark Doot Doot. Baby Shark Doot. I also like how they they throw in sectionalism. Like what the fuck is sectionalism? Like Yeah, when you first said that I thought it was sexualism. Sexualism well, slavery. Well, I know what that is. <laughs> I know how I got one out of three. I like how they s- I believe in one out of three. <laughs> They, I like how they also sandwiched slavery between the two. You know what I mean? To, as to yeah, like, diminish like it. Yeah, sexual slavery. Yeah. What's the last one? <laughs> states, states rights. Sexual slavery. States rights. <laughs> they, they did it like a used car dealership jingle. You know? Yeah. Sexual slave, slave today the Tom Raper way. <laughs> That's how. That's what they would have said back in those days. Only real Ohio heads will know that reference. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, no sectionalism. What the fuck is that? That just. It's just like. It's it's like an even more. A restriction of interest to a narrow sphere. Sectionalism is loyalty to one's own region or section of the country. <laughs> It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Just that, like, oh, yeah, that was the reason that we waged a war. Because some people just really like the the balmy climbs of the, of the South. 
I have a question, though, about just battlefield strategy and rolling a giant out. <laughs> Famously, the most famous underdog story of all time is, of course, David versus Goliath. And uh, we saw how that panned out for the big man. Uh-huh. You know, King David with his slingshot caught him right between the eyes. Yeah. Not, 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 G-Man. Okay. Did Martin Van Buren Bates survive the the <laughs> the Civil War? He did. He actually did. How? Dude. How do you not hit that motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> He's seven foot nine. <laughs> Dude, not only was he he was when he registered to be in the Confederacy, he was seven foot seven and a half. And 328 pounds. He wasn't just say, like some yank, lanky like Yao Ming. He was an actual giant. He was an actual giant. Of course, on a man 7'8", 328 probably looks a little svelte. There's a picture of but, him. But that's still going to be a big man. You know, It's not going to be like a beanpole. So it's like the, 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 the conspiracy about the giant being killed in Afghanistan... In this case, was actually true. Like, could you imagine? Like, yeah, you know what? I listen. I'm sorry. All the all the people that believe the Afghan giant thing, you're right. They who's to say the Taliban didn't have their own Martin Van Buren Bates? (laughs) (laughs) It's possible. I listen to this. He was involved in several skirmishes in Kentucky and Tennessee, earning a battlefield promotion to captain. He was seriously wounded in a battle at Cumberland Gap, leading to his capture by the Union forces. They had this motherfucker fighting at Cumberland Gap. I, I, this kind of speaks to just kind of the, the, really just kind of how dumb the Confederacy was. Uh-huh. Can you imagine just rolling out an eight-foot guy at a dogfight in fucking Cumberland Gap? <laughs> <laughs> and just like, yeah, yeah, we'll just throw him out there with the... <laughs> No, you need that guy, like, for intimidation purposes or something. They should have named him governor. They should have ousted, you know, Jefferson Davis out of there. Obviously, incompetent leadership. Uh-huh. And put Martin, Martin Van Buren Bates should have led the Confederacy. He already had the name. Yeah. You know. And named after the only, what, the only Dutch president we've ever had. Who established the National Bank. That motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Martin Van Buren Bates, the actual opposite. I think he was the shortest president, right? Or him or James Madison was like 5'3 or something like I, that. I could see it. Dude, there's a compelling argument for, you know, to bring this kind of full circle. John Brown may not have done the things that he had done if Martin Van Buren did not create the National Bank in 1837. Because he, like, because, like, John Brown had, like, tried to buy a bunch of land and cattle and he was trying like putting a lot of money into the hopes that they would create a like an ohio canal in ohio right yeah and then when they created the national bank it like restructured like loans and so all of his money was essentially rendered worthless like overnight and it drew <laughs> it drove him insane like he like i mean there's a lot of other reasons as well but like it was just another like thing on his road to just becoming you know like the biblical reckoning of america's past it was just another thing that like drove him to just 
be completely certain that all the forces were satanic and they were aligned against him. Uh, I feel, uh, Brother Brown, because I I am a logging into my Fidelity banking app and seeing a zero balance in my <laughs> bank account away from... I would commit a murder. I would. I'll say that. I, I, know, I know now... I've been stretched to the limits. I am I am capable of a violent crime. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was before. Yeah. I thought I was just going to be a, a low-rent hood the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But no, I think that there's uh, externalities that uh, could make a man lose his mind. I'm not saying I will. I'm saying I think a lot of us could. Yeah. Um. No, I, I agree. You know, Joker fight, etc. Not an original observation. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, Martin Van Buren Bates. His reputation grew with the Yankees too, as they referred to him as quote the Confederate giant who is as big as five men and fights like fifty. It's like okay, this was not a hand to hand combat war. Like, what was he doing? Like, he was he shooting fifty guns at one time? <laughs> well. You know, it's kind of funny because it's like, it's like you, you see how the lore grows. Like, you know, these like the, the union guys were sitting around a campfire and being like, listen, man, y'all don't believe this, but in Cumberland Gap, the, the, the fuck, these fucking rebels got a giant and he's eight feet fucking tall, dog. And he actually lives off of eating the remains of the dead on the battlefields. That's what they feed him. Yeah, just the image of him like, shaking off like eight different Yankee soldiers (laughs) throwing them yeah cause like who who um who like made the uniforms for like the confederate army was it probably like some cotton manufacturer in England like imagine getting that order it's like all right, we've got 5,000 standard issue uh gray uniforms for the confederate army and what is this? <laughs> seven uh, foot seven. Like, this has got to be some sort of error. <laughs> and then you send a telegram across the, which takes like three months, right? Uh-huh. And you say, wait, I think we've got your order wrong. Uh, uh, this one says this is like a, a U.S. size uh, 86 inch chest. What's going on here? That's like, nah, we got a giant. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, hey, no, guys, that keep making it. It's for a giant. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like later on in the war, they're strapped for resources. Like, you you can imagine if you have a giant, don't send him out in a regular uniform. Like, you've got to get him like a loincloth and a big massive club. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give him like a spruce tree that you've carved to look like a cloth. <laughs> yeah, say he actually uprooted this tree himself and fashioned it to a billy club. That's just hey, listen, y'all want to make us a fair fight? Go get your own giant. <laughs> uh, but that the said, that there was no, no there was no Electric County in the north, so they didn't have a giant from which to. You know, a community from which to pull giant resources. Well, uh, thing is, it's like now we know like every giant mentioned in some ancient text or whatever is just like somebody with like a what's it, acromegaly <laughs> that's got a pituitary tumor. I uh-huh. think is what usually causes people to grow like that tall. Uh huh. I knew another Letcher County giant, like a real giant, Eddie Toller. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the sad things about it all is, like, I think sometimes people with acromegaly tend to have, like, heart problems and different other problems because they grow so tall and maybe, I don't know, something to do with it puts burden on the organs. So Eddie ended up passing, but Eddie Toller, R.I.P. a gentle giant. Mm. Obviously, it was the center for the Flint Neon basketball team because he was, like, seven-something. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've got to use the, that. If you've got that like – if, if you're a high school basketball coach and you're walking down the halls and you see a kid that's, like, seven-foot-seven, seven, you've never seen him before, you're yeah. scouting that motherfucker. You're getting yeah. him on Well, the let's call it what it is. Uh, you're, you're a giant. you got two career prospects, <laughs> basketball or battlefield <laughs> intimidation. <laughs> Like, are there accountants that are like seven foot seven, three fifty pounds? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not like you're not going to a restaurant and getting served by a guy <laughs> seven seven. You know what I mean? That's just it's going to throw your dining experience off because all you're going to talk about the rest of the meal is, damn man, that guy took our orders like tall, tall. <laughs> I actually knew two Letcher County Giants, Tyler Eiserman too. Dude, I, I'm te- I'm telling you. Maybe there's something. Well, well, we know there's something in the water, but maybe there's something going on in Letcher County that, as we produce a disproportionate amount of giants for our size. Yeah, I'm reading from this article that was in this week's Mountain Eagle about Martin Van Buren Bates. Do you think that they named? Do you think Goliath was also? A name like he was named after a political leader of that time. Like his real full name was like Abraham Goliath or something like that. <laughs> King David Goliath. Da- David in Goliath. <laughs> yeah, it's a mis- It's a whole misinterpretation. Yeah, it's not David and Goliath. It's David in Goliath. In King Goli- David was himself a giant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you remember when? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote that book about, and he led with the story of David and Goliath, and he theorized that Goliath himself suffered from acromegaly. Maybe that's where I got that from. Was the God it's, help me if I'm just if Gladwellisms infecting our program? <laughs> I just yeah, no, I just love like trying to apply some like sort of scientific rationalism to a story that's like four thousand years old and obviously a fable and obviously a legend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You see, Goliath, who most likely did not exist, and to the degree that he did, you know, back in those days, if you were like 6'2", you were a giant. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He might have been like just a medium tall dude. Right. Um, Okay, so it says, Martin visited his home near Whitesburg in 1863 and found his family gone later learned that his brother James had been tortured and slain. Oh, no. <laughs> By a, a boy named Jack with a <laughs> with some magic beans. <laughs> he wreaked vengeance on the culprits, but was captured by Union forces in eastern Kentucky. That's all it says. Like, okay, what, did, he, did he go on a, like, John Wick, like, revenge tour like what what did it, what do you mean he wreaked vengeance on the conference yeah really uh he missed a golden opportunity to say fee fi fo fum i smell the blood of a union man 
And then just a shut up, bitch. And uh-huh. Just throw a rock between his eyes and kill his ass. <clears throat> why, why couldn't you do that, you know? Yeah, it says the Yankees took delight in having the giant as a prisoner and transported him by a series of mules with, quote, his feet a dragon and a rope around his neck. After one of the animals gave out... <laughs> so this guy's a total, like, bl- like <laughs> blundering dumbass. To- uh-huh. Yeah. Um, after one of the animals gave out and laid down under his massive weight, they placed Martin on another. Eventually he was taken... Eventually he was put aboard a boat and taken to Camp Chase, a prisoner of war camp in Ohio. Later he was transferred to Point Lookout, Maryland, where he was involved in a prisoner exchange. He proved to be a most interesting individual wherever he was seen. Um, yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was much resentment in the area following the war as many families maintained their allegiance to one side or other. Some hid along the mountain paths and took pot shots at the veterans that supported the opposing side during the war. Perhaps the Yankee sympathizers didn't shoot at Bates because he was such an oddity and likable individual. With his size, he certainly was a large target. Hmm. <laughs> what if he was... Yeah, they <laughs> they liked him. So they rash. He was just a man of his time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he was a man of his time. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, he joined the circus after the war. Uh. Uh. Yeah. Lest we forget, that's the third. Mm, right. Tall about that. Job. Actually, honestly, with the death of the franchise center, it probably wouldn't be able to play basketball either. That's true. Right. Yeah. Um. Let's see. He was also a Mason, apparently. He remained in Louisa for nearly a week and made several visits to the Masonic Academy while he was there. So he had the ancient knowledge. He had the ancient knowledge. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Imagine doing Masonic hazing rituals with a man (laughs) twice your size. Yeah, yeah, imagine pantsing an eight-foot-tall giant and spanking him with a board. (laughs) It's like, yeah, don't they have to do weird stuff like jack off on the scepter and uh, compass? Like, imagine you look next to you and it's Please Martin Van Buren Bates. It's the rod of discipline. <laughs> Come on, if you're gonna if you're gonna comment on masonry, at least know the you know the ancient wisdom. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh man. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he was very intelligent, and if he had lived in our day and time, he would likely be an honor student. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Who wrote this? This is stupid <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> he would likely be an honor student. He'd be in Fight Theater Kappa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Martin Van Buren Bates, the smart, <laughs> the smart racist giant. <laughs> come, come on, come on, see our... our <laughs> Big smart racist. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's the point here is that we shouldn't necessarily discount war stories of giants because there has been precedents for them existing in various armed conflicts around the globe. That's true. I apologize for my condescension. Another thing I want to bring up. Remember those old History Channel programs that talked about Stalin trying to breed people with gorillas to create super soldiers? <laughs> yes. See? Yeah, you're right. Story after story abounds. I, I guess the bottom line is, if you're going into battle, it behooves you to 
I have a couple of giants. Who was the guy in Achille, in uh, Troy? Oh, uh, that Achilles has to meet in the battlefield, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, did um, did he prevail? Yeah, I think so. Right? Didn't Brad Pitt run up him and like stab him in the shoulder and through the heart? I mean, if I was and, Achilles, yeah, I think you're right. The giant Bogrius. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was theorized. It was theorized that my man was suffering from rabies. And that's why he brought, uh, I guess in the ancient text, he was, he gnashed. Oh. Telltale sign of rabies infection when you gnash. When you gnash. (laughs) Yeah. And that's gnash with a G. I love it. Yeah. I love the gnash. Man. Sectionalism in the 1800s America refers to the different lifestyles, social structures, customs, and political values of the North and the South. I fucking love that. It's like basically saying that like the cause for the war was slavery, but you don't understand that was their culture and we have to respect that. Yeah. It's like basically what it's saying. It's like, I guess, I don't know. It's it's such a strange term. I just love that they taught us to it in sing-song form, though. It's like, for the vast majority of people who came across that song, for the entire rest of their lives, they'll be like, no, that's why we fought the war. Sexualism, slavery, and... Maybe that's what it was, dude. It Maybe because when you put it to a jingle, it burns it in your brain. Yeah, it burns it into like, your brain. I know the Greek alphabet only because of I know a jingle to it. Yes, exactly. The jingle is... A time-honored, time-tested tradition for learning. I'm imagining somebody coming and interviewing Martin Van Buren Bates kind of after the war. and You know, he's probably... Emancipation Proclamation, all that stuff's been signed. He's probably reading the tea leaves that his old positions probably aren't that popular anymore. Mm -hmm. And he starts some crackpot theory that... Listen, I, did I support slavery? No. Did I own slaves? No. But I'll be goddamn if I let Lincoln come take my gas range. <laughs> That's his whole reason for joining the Confederacy is because he heard some guy told him that Lincoln was going to come confiscate something. <laughs> yeah. Man, that is, um, that's a curveball. I didn't see that one coming. The, the, the gas range becoming a, a hot button issue. It's, I mean, obviously nobody's going to come take anybody's gas, though, but it is kind of interesting to see some of the, like, asthma and respiratory problems that having more CO2 in your house causes. Uh-huh. Well, have you ever, like, le- have you ever, like, left a gas stove on and came in the house? <laughs> every day. Every day the hope. Every day every in the, day the hope that <laughs> that today will be the day. The, the, the day that... I stay in there just a little too long. <laughs> uh, I'm getting a little sleepy all of a sudden. <laughs> I think I'll just lay down here and take me a nap. <laughs> uh-huh. Nothing wrong with a nap. <laughs> why does it smell? Why does it smell like rotten eggs in here? <laughs> Dude, there is an article in the New York Times this week about how cougars cougars are heading east, and we should welcome them. And it's got a map. uh, It's got a map where new places where wild cougars could roam. And the biggest one on the map in the eastern U.S., eastern Kentucky and West Virginia, baby. Oh, my God. Is this their latest plan? They're going to fucking 
release jungle cats on us. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking... What a, I mean, we're getting cougars, man. Dog, listen. On the one hand, sounds cool, right? There's going to be a lot of people rejoice. A lot of these guys have been lying about seeing mountain lions for years. They're going to be like, see, I told you. <laughs> the other side to this, and while I understand that cougars are typically docile and sort of avoid uh-huh. human interaction, uh, I also like have seen too many of those like TikTok videos where there's like a jogger and then there's just like a big cat hiding behind a bush. I don't need that. <clears throat> yeah Would you I'm rather, okay without that You'd rather it be a giant <laughs> I'd rather Martin Van Buren Bates Jump out from behind a bush <laughs> And just like <laughs> Shake his dick at me Or something uh-huh. Like a big pervert Well I don't know It could be lost in translation It might be You know like Jennifer Coolidge We might be getting like middle, Hot middle age Busty women Looking for sex In your neighborhood Right now Damn <clears throat> All the <laughs> all the ads were true. All the ads were true. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming for us. In my neighborhood? Right now? <laughs> God. I wonder if there's some guy that saw that, you know, and just went out on the porch and was just like expecting some Jennifer Coolidge type to come throw some pussy at her. Well, when I was 18 and I would see that stuff, I really would have like a two second like, oh, wow. But then I'd be like, oh, you know, that oh, rational. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Oh, they got me That's again. That's what cum brain does to a man. <laughs> like, it, when you're horny, you will temporarily believe patently ridiculous <laughs> things. Yes, that, like, giants exist. And, like, uh, well, if you, like, like, here's the thing, though. Like, <laughs> now, now we all know it's a ruse, right? Because we've came a little bit, uh, you know, along the last several years. Ten years ago, though, you're hard up. It's been a while since you've got any put on you. Mm-hmm. And a sex bot hits you in the DM. Mm-hmm. Like, for, it's not long, right? But for about a, a half a second, you're uh. like... <laughs> and it's mostly you just want it to be true. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But, but there's been times where you're like... You've probably, in the early days of, like, dating apps, probably got okey-doked once by a bot. Yeah. Probably. Like, like, but but here's the deal. Here's the, the wager you make with yourself, though, when it happens. That ain't gonna hurt nothing just to send one <laughs> message. Just to see if it's real. Well, dude, it's funny you bring that up because, like, right now, in Silicon Valley, the big, hot, new thing... Now that crypto has basically imploded and NFTs and everything associated with it. The hot new thing is generative AI, which is yeah. quite literally just sex chatbots. Like that's that's is what it is is they just basically made sex chatbots a little more convincing and they're like no that's generative AI. Like you talk to it and it'll talk back. It's like no, I've been talking to bots since I was like Bet at this. I bet on. <laughs> I've been talking to AI for years now, <laughs> futilely hoping to get some pussy out of the deal. <laughs> it's like I don't know. It's hilarious. Like uh, several startups, like three or four, just got massive rounds of funding to the tune of billions of dollars to like, like generative I, AI. And it's can, just like, listen, all we got to do is take our sex bot technology 
and just call it generative AI for these fucking mm. Poindexters. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Man, what's up with all that AI art that's been going on? Kind of looks like. It kind of looks like if if Wes Anderson made The Exorcist or something like that. Just mm. really fucking freaky but now it's almost like the nfts it's like oh yeah there's a house style of this and it's kind of annoying already mm-hmm. yeah you i know I, what I, i'm talking about i yeah i know what you're talking about um the funny thing about it is like the new york times had a story about the generative ai thing and that's where i was reading about it and they used examples that they had pulled from the internet of you know like the doll e thing like you, you enter in a prompt. Oh, everybody was on that for a second. Yeah, yeah. Where we were like, yeah, yeah. So, so that dumb shit. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Like several startups are getting billions of dollars to pursue that. So it's like, and we, and we probably like <laughs> gave them proof of concept just by being like, oh, uh, I wonder what it'd look like <laughs> if uh, Obama and Biden jerked each other off while watching <laughs> X Men. That's exactly. What fueled it? Our own perverse, grotesque desires. Desire to see our fantasies (laughs) rendered in the real world. (laughs) That's what it is. Listen, let me just tell you something. Something I've learned over the years, and I think it's as true today as it was several years ago when I was on some of the more primitive pornography sites when I was Mm. a teenager. But... Mm -hmm. There's certain things that happen in your head that are best left in the realm of fantasy. <laughs> I agree. And we would do we would be wise to remember this going forward. Right. <laughs> right. I agree. Mo- you know, you were talking about movies serving a purpose. That's one uh, of them. Yeah. Like our own worst fears and perversions and so forth, we should just that should be film's role. That I agree. You'd have to like be it has a to be safe facsimile. <laughs> Yeah, it of has our to worst be, impulses. You're right. It has to be mediated by a responsible party. You can't just turn it over to AI because they they'll do they'll let you do anything, man. They'll let you see anything. Oh you got to have a governor. Yeah, on they it, will. Man. They really will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can see anything you want to in this world anymore. <clears throat> um, speaking of seeing anything, I uh sent you this speaker piece i just saw this week uh you know how like the i just texted it to you you know how like libs would call trump like tangerine turnip or whatever the fuck they used to call him like yeah they used to call him like mango the the mango mussolini mango mussolini there was one in the mountain eagle speaker piece this week that i'd not seen before this one was new to me so Oh, no, 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 no. You have Listen, to I'm gonna tell you, Right from the jump, here's why Mango Mussolini doesn't work, and here's why this one we'll read in a minute doesn't work. <laughs> Something happened in Southern comedy from the outset that, again, was, should, was one of those perversions that should have been left in the realm. But for the longest time, what actually broke through in terms of southern comedy was just shit was just like alliterative jokes like uh hornier than a three peckered possum in a pumpkin patch 
So when I see alliteration, I actually, I instantly have a cringe. Like yeah, you have, you have a fighter you have a fight or flight response. Like it triggers the fight or flight the amygdala in your brain. You're like, oh, <laughs> so bad. So that's what that's, that's what, what this one does. As soon as I saw it, that's what it did. To me. I I take no listen. Before I read this, I take no pleasure in putting this on y'all but i saw it and so now you do too so here we go (laughs) mountain eagle for the week of january 11th 2023 velveta voldemort (laughs) (laughs) hey it didn't even bury the lead you know i mean they could have just waited a while that they just they straight out the gate velveta voldemort Velveeta Voldemort had trouble deciding whether to be happy that his idea of a terrorist attack on the national capital is catching on or angry that he isn't getting credit for it. When told that 150 Brazilian people had copied what the Republicans did here, he felt ambivalent. And he asked, remind me, how many is a Brazilian? I just want to say a couple things here. Humor, not your thing. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, yeah, just probably should just leave it to the pros here. Okay. <laughs> Second thing is, is Velveeta <laughs> Voldemort. It's not even orange. Yeah, it's yellow. It's, it's yellow. Just, yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I, I appreciate. I, I appreciate the creative license, though. You know what I'm saying? Like. I appreciate that it's. I appreciate what they were doing with imagery. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, your mind, Velvet Voldemort. Here's that, what Terrence Ray is always going to do. You've, you've, you never discount. You, you're, you live in fear of being owned. So you never discount the fact that something might be sort of a meta joke or. <laughs> So, so you're always like, no, I, I actually I get it. Like that guy, like Tyler Gentry's comedy. You're like, actually, this guy's brilliant. What he's doing, dude, is, it this is, is a true. commentary on. <laughs> you're right. It's a defense mechanism against getting owned. I have a pathological aversion to ever getting scammed, owned, played, being a mark, and so everything is a bit like a scammer or anything. But it, no, this is a bit. This is not. This is not genuine. <laughs> oh my god! Um, not okay. good. Well, not speak, good. Speaking of real authentic people, longtime listeners of this show will know of a little segment we used to do called New York Times: The Conversation. So, seeing as how one party to that conversation is not able to participate, not only for us but also for perhaps Brett Stevens. <laughs> Brett, for this week, I don't know if for all time, has replaced Gail Collins with David Brooks, which means that perhaps... Oh, man. <laughs> which means that perhaps you and I can have a motherfucking conversation. A motherfucking well, conversation. Well, this is what I've been waiting for the whole time. Would you like to join me now, in conversation? let's start the show. You would like to join me in conversation? <laughs> yeah, I'll join you in conversation. Okay. Um... So, we we usually gotta set this, you know what I mean? It's like you got you got pick a setting. Um, so, I mean, I just saw Avatar this week, and while I won't set 
this in that mythical universe, I do appreciate the world building and and the uh, casting of a grand imaginary. You know what I mean? Like a setting that is a simulacrum of our real world. And so I guess to honor that as an homage to that, let's put the setting for this in 1901 Eastern Kentucky under the uh, setting that you and I so miraculously conjured forth on the Patreon this past weekend. Epitar 2. Time to feed the hogs. Time to feed the hogs. God. <laughs> Time to feed the motherfucking hogs, bitch. Let's feed them, baby. <laughs> uh, let, me pull the, let me pull this up on my, my phone's getting ready to die. I don't want to ruin our moment. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so while Tom's doing that, I just want to say that if you would like to hear more, if that sounds like something that's up your alley, go to patreon.com. It's like, dude, when we were writing that, dude, I didn't even think about this. But like, it didn't even occur to me until after I saw the new Avatar that like what what our screenplay our treatment was missing was like steampunk shit. Like we could have had like hog mechs, hog mechs. You know how there's like the crab mech suits in the new Avatar. We we could have hog mech suits. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you know. I think. Uh... You know, when when they ultimately option us for a third or a second, but it will be Avatar 3. It would be Avatar, Avatar 3, 3, right. Yeah. It was like, because uh, we did like a Star Wars George Lucas thing. We started our franchise off with the second movie. And we're going to close it with the first one. <laughs> just a little, yes. yeah, just a little curveball for you. Keep yeah, it'll go it. two, three, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're jumping all over the place. You don't know what's going on. Uh-huh. All right, I'm ready. Uh, All right, so you know, obviously you're Brett. You know, that's but man, you know, uh, I can't, I can't guarantee how good this is going to be, um, because the premise of this is the future of the Republican Party. I skimmed it. There was some good shit in it. We'll have to, we'll have to really dial into our characters. I guess is what I'm saying for this to really be good. Like you. We got to go method, man. We're method acting. All right. Um, You have got to, we have both literally got to make ourselves stupid as shit. We have to drink the colloidal silver, my friend. All right. So. We blew his head at the end of this. Here we go. Okay. The the article is called The Party's Over for Us. Yeah, the the party's over for us. Where do we go now? This is not a declaration of death or su- of intention to, of suicide, by the way. This is not a suicide note. <laughs> the party's over for us. Where do we go now? I don't know, guys. To hell. Let's see. Let, the little tagline here. For decades, conservative values have been central to Brett Stevens and David Brooks's <laughs> political beliefs, and the Republican Party was the vehicle to extend those beliefs into policy. But in recent years, both the party and a radicalized conservative movement have left them feeling alienated in various ways. Mm. I don't know about you, but I'm major fucking alienated in various ways, bro. Uh, What's interesting is not even an hour ago, I was thinking about the time David Brooks took his poor friend to eat a a fucking stromboli (laughs) at an Italian restaurant, saying that the the poor backwoods rube had never had a... 
Yeah. <laughs> Never had a, a stromboli. Never had cured meats. Yeah. Now, with an extremist fringe seemingly in control of the House, the GOP bears little resemblance to the party that was once their home. It's a shame. Brett and David got together to suss out what happened and where the party can go. Here Are we go. Are you ready to suss out? I'm going to get let's, major let's get fucking su- sus there. Let's get sus. <clears throat> you know, David, lately I've been thinking about that classic Will Rogers line. I'm not a member of any organized political party. I am a Democrat. <laughs> A century or so later, it looks like the shoe is on the other foot. Is it even possible to call the Republican Party a party anymore? It's funny you say that, Brent. My thinking about the GOP goes back to a brunch I had with Laura Ingraham and Dinesh D'Souza in the 80s (laughs) that helps me see, in retrospect, (laughs) that people in my circle were pro-conservative, while Ingraham and D'Souza and people in their circle were anti-left. I just like love this like tree of life, episodic like memory jolts where he's uh, uh, he, he thinks uh, back to a, a, a random brunch just, in like 1986. Just a normal lunch <laughs> with two normal people. Then <laughs> we wanted to champ that we the normal ones wanted to champion Edmund Burke and Adam Smith and a Reaganite foreign policy. They wanted to rock the establishment. That turned out to be a consequential difference because almost all the people in my circle back then, like David Frum and Robert Kagan, ended up, decades later, never Trumpers. And almost all the people in their circle became Trumpers or went bonkers. Right. They weren't conservatives. They were just illiberal. Yes. Then in 1995, some friends and I created a magazine called The Weekly Standard. The goal was to help the GOP become a mature governing party. Clearly, we did an awesome job. I have a, a zillion little, thoughts little self, about... A little self-crit there. <laughs> right. I'd say that's underselling it. It's like one of those things where it's like you're responsible for the deaths of five million people and you kind of try to joke about it like, yeah, we, we made yeah, some yeah, yeah. It's Telling that the two senses before that is like, yeah, my best friend in those days, David Frum. <laughs> I have a zillion thoughts about where the Republican Party went astray. But do you have a core theory, Brett? Well, funny you should ask that. Uh, Dave, I have multiple theories, but let me start with this one. The mid-1990s was also the time that Newt Gingrich became Speaker of the House and Fox News got started. You don't say. Back, <laughs> yeah. Back then, those, were on, those who were on the more intelligent end of the conservative spectrum thought a magazine <laughs> such as The Weekly Standard, a channel like Fox, and a guy like Gingrich would be complimentary. Mm. The Standard would provide the innovative ideas for Republican leaders like Gingrich, and Fox would popularize those ideas for right-of-center voters. It didn't work out as planned. The supposed popularizers turned into angry populists, and the populists turned on the intellectuals. Oh, no. The classic tale, as old as time. Tale as old as time. But to borrow Warren Buffett's take about investing... The conservative movement went from innovation to imitation to idiocy. <laughs> it's how the movement embraced Donald Trump as its standard bearer and, and role model. All the rest, as they say, is commentary. What but, about your theory? Before I go on, he capitalized commentary. So is that a, a reference to like the magazine, the Bill Kristol magazine commentary, I'm guessing? Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe the copy editor thought it was. Mm. Yeah, right. I think, yeah, 
thanks, Brett, for, um, by the way, for complimenting my intelligence when you said the more intelligent end of the conservative spectrum is not a magazine such as the <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, like you and David Frum. And... <laughs> you guys were really smart back then. We thought you would do it. Um, David says, I think I'd tell a similar story, but maybe less flattering to my circle. The people who led the Republican Party, either as president, Ronald Reagan through the Bushes, members of Congress, Jack Kemp, John McCain, Paul Ryan, or as administration officials and intellectuals, Richard Darman, Condi Rice, believed in promoting change through the institutions of established power. They generally wanted to shrink and reform the government, but they venerated the Senate, the institution of the presidency, and they worked comfortably with people from the think tanks, the press, and the universities. They were liberal internationalists, cosmopolitan, believers in the value of immigration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John McCain, very cosmopolitan. <laughs> yeah. Paul Ryan, very cosmopolitan. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Ronald Reagan, George Bush, so cosmopolitan they couldn't stay out of every single fucking country on the planet. And trying to overthrow their government. You imagine trying to rebrand these people as cosmopolitan and, and liberal internationalists. <laughs> like, imagine rebranding George W. Bush as a liberal internationalist. No, I'd say, like, the closest thing to, like, a liberal internationalist was probably John F. Kennedy, right? Like, someone right. whose line probably, and there's a lot of interpretation on it, but I think it seems clear to me that probably towards the end of his life, he thought that, the United States needed to have a more liberal global orientation in the sense that we should cohabitate with communism rather than try to overthrow it. You know what I'm well, saying? Uh, even, I mean, you know, it's worth noting that when he died, Fidel Castro didn't come out and said, yes, another infidel swine dead. He called it a great loss for human rights when John F. Kennedy died. Now, I'm not saying yeah. that, like, <laughs> Kennedy was, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, you know, a comrade or anything like that. But, so, did uh, so did De Gaulle, by the way. Charles De Gaulle almost got fucking cooed in 1961 by, like, right-wing, like, paramilitary, you know, disaffected military officers over Algeria. And after Jack Kennedy got shot, he was like, no, that was a coup. They did the exact same shit because of his policies towards Cuba and, and the Soviet Union and everything. I'm not one of these people that, like holds john f kennedy in esteem i just mean like you can no, distinguish no, 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 between no, no. i don't want to get twisted either i you know there's uh <laughs> he was an imperialist swine ultimately yeah, but yeah yeah, yeah. just a brother castro's probably been a little too soft on him but yeah. still yeah. uh i'll just say that to say that the perception even among the burgeoning cuban communist party was not that he was imperialist swine but rather that like he was a guy that was playing ball or whatever right right and like co contrasting that with like the bushes, <laughs> right, right. Contrasting that with the bushes, yeah. scions of liberal internationalism. Anyways. Yeah, George H. W. Bush having done probably more harm in the world than almost anybody else that ever drew breath. Uh huh. Anyways, okay. all that to yeah. say, Brett. You know, I'd <laughs> add that they also believed in the core values of old-fashioned liberalism. I would say that too, Brett. <laughs> Faith in the goodness of democracy, <laughs> human rights. <laughs> Most importantly, it needs to be said, goddammit, that Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush 
believed in human rights, the rule of law, free speech, and political compromise. The political process itself. They believed in building these things up, not just tearing them down. And I would count myself among them. Wait, that is a weird sentence. They believed in building things up, not just tearing them down. So they also believed in tearing them down, but they also believed in building them up. Yeah, we believe... Oh, don't get it twisted. We believe in tearing things down, but not just that. (laughs) Oh, shit. Just, yeah, like Ronald Reagan definitely believed in the goodness of democracy, human rights, and the rule. (laughs) If there's two words that I think about when Ronald Reagan comes to mind, it's human rights. Then the established this I love this part, okay? This is what this is like this is core to David Brooks's mentality. Like this is fucking fundamental. This is a load-bearing structure, okay? <laughs> then the establishment got discredited, Iraq war, financial crisis, the ossifying of the meritocracy, the widening values gap between metro elites and everyone else, and suddenly all the people I regarded as fringe and wackadoodle Pat Buchanan, Donald Trump, anyone who ran CPAC, rose up on the wave of populist fury. Everybody likes the story in which the little guy rises up to take on the establishment, but in this case, the little guys rode in on a wave of know-nothingism, mendacity, an apocalyptic mindset, and authoritarianism. Within a few years, a few short years, a somewhat Hamiltonian party became a Jacksonian one with a truly nihilistic wing. Okay. Oh yes, the little guys like Donald Trump. <laughs> maybe like, the maybe the only man that ever lived that was too big to fail. <laughs> the reason I say this is core to his mentality is because like he's been on about this for at least like I uh, like 5 or 6 years now, probably since 2016 that like they the elites massively fucked things up in the 2000s. But it's not their fault, which is the funniest fucking position you could possibly take. It's like, look, they may have fucked up Iraq war. They may have fucked up and dro- and completely imploded the economy. Blah, 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 blah. But it's not uh, their fault. I, but are you perfect? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he's basically saying that, like, it wasn't a fuck up bad enough to warrant this new wave of populism. So that's why these people are, are out of control and, and, and outrageous. It's like, it's it's such a bizarre position to take. If if I wonder what these guys would be saying if Trump wasn't like bombastic and like ridiculous, mm. you know, and says all these quite crazy things. Like if he would have just been like just their mouthpiece, bog standard. Well, one he would he would not have won like that. But let's say just for the sake of argument that he would have won just being a regular ass, like kind of sort of boring Republican. What would these guys say of him? <laughs> same policy, same outcomes, everything. Yeah, I, I would be willing to bet that they would be totally fine right. with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, turn, anyway. throwing it over to you, Brett. Slightly unfair to Jackson, <laughs> 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 who at least opposed nullification, but I take your overall point, Dave. Okay, so David says, After many years of the GOP decaying, the party's institutional and moral collapse happened quickly between 2013 and 2016. In the 2000 Republican primaries, I enthusiastically supported John McCain. I believed in his approach to governance, and I admired him enormously. But by 2008, when he got the nomination, the party had shifted, and McCain had shifted along with it. 
I walked into the polling booth that November genuinely not knowing if I would vote for McCain or Barack Obama. Then an optical illusion flashed across my brain. McCain and Obama's names appeared to be written on the ballot in 12-point type, but Sarah Palin's name looked like it was written in red in 24-point type. I don't think I've ever said this in public before, but I voted for Obama. (laughs) This is a rare moment of vulnerability for David. Wow. He's got. He's he, got prob- and he probably. He probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. He probably did it. Well, I voted for McCain. If I were, <laughs> if, I, if I were basing my presidential votes on the vice presidential candidate, I'd have thought twice about voting for Biden. <laughs> so both of them are like kind of rolling out their like open-minded. I'll sometimes vote for Democrats, uh-huh. bona fides. Uh-huh. On your point about populism. Now, there's been previous Republican presidents who rode to office on waves of populist discontent, particularly Nixon and Ronald Reagan. But as the presidents, they channeled that discontent into serious programs and also turned their backs on the ugly fringes of the right. Let me just say an amazing sentence. Do you know where Ronald Reagan launched his presidential campaign in 1980? Philadelphia, Mississippi, where three civil rights workers were murdered and dumped into, like, an open grave. And, like, the whole point was, like, a dog whistle towards, like, you know. I support these types of things. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. Okay, Brett. Just a yeah. fucking amazing statement. Man, like, the dissonance is, is off the chain. I, I'll go ahead and say this, if lest there be any ambiguity in this. But... <laughs> <clears throat> By no means do you have to give it to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> also, and by no means did Ronald Reagan, quote, turn his back on the ugly fringes of the right. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. Um, Where was I at? Nixon okay. created the EPA and expanded the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Reagan established a working relationship with Democrat House leaders to pass tax reform and gave amnesty to millions of illegal immigrants. Yeah, What's he different also, this time around. He also sold drugs to traffic crack into the United States. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah let's, let's, uh, let's, let's judge him on balance here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What's different this time is that populist feelings were never harnessed to pragmatic policies. As you say, it's just populism in the service of nihilism. Um, yeah, I, I, what I like about that is like the proposition that centrism, by its very definition, can't be like a radical position. It's like, no, you don't understand. You can be a fucking stark, raving, mad, frothing at the mouth centrist. Like that is an insane fringe position that I think should be ostracized from society. <laughs> and, and, and treated as such. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so where does the GOP go from here? And where does the old core of the conservative movement go? Do they, we, become Democrats or a quiet left-wing fringe of what's become Matt Gates's clown show? <laughs> Dude, this next sentence fucking killed me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this fucking right. murdered me. All right. <clears throat> oh my god, dude. <laughs> this is what people... <laughs> Oh my god. Sorry. What was that? No, go ahead. No, this is what I was talking about just a second ago, but read it and you'll see why. <clears throat> when people get on a bad path, whether it's drinking or gambling or <laughs> political or religious fanaticism, 
they tend to follow it all the way to the bottom, at which point they either die or have that proverbial moment of clarity. <laughs> it's like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, Brett cannot even entertain the notion that he himself... It's like that Rod Dreher thing where he went to his therapist because he was distressed about 9-11 and his therapist was like, you understand that you could have flown those planes, right? Like, you're just as insane as those You're, you're <laughs> no better than Muhammad Adda, friend. In fact, you make Adda seem a little bit of a sympathetic character by comparison. Exactly. This is like, he just, Brett cannot countenance the fact that like, like, first of all, there's the comparison of addiction <laughs> to, like, political or religious fanaticism. And it's like, my brother in Christ, you are the political fanatic. You are just, you are addicted. Hey, all of us out here, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not paid $500,000 a year to just come up with this pablum. I know. No, you are the fanatic here. Amazing. Oh, shh. God damn, dude. That got me. Huh. <laughs> I've been waiting for Republicans to have a moment of clarity for a while now. After Joe Biden's victory on or January 6th, the midterms, Trump's dinner with Kanye West. I had a flicker of hope that the Kevin McCarthy debacle last week would open some eyes, but probably not. Part of the reason is that so many Republicans no longer get into politics to pass legislation. They do it to become celebrities. The more feverish they are, the better it sells. On the other hand... Some Republicans who conspicuously did well in the midterms were the normies. People like Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia and Governor Mike DeWine in Ohio. Yeah, the normies like Brian Kemp who hid a bunch of voting machines in the basement of some warehouse so that black people couldn't vote. It gives me hope that the fever will eventually burn itself out, maybe after a few well-earned defeats. The solution here is some kind of Republican version of the old Democratic Leadership Council, which yanked left-wing Democrats back to the center after three consecutive presidential wipeouts mm. and paved the way for the election of Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Democratic Leadership Council, who engineered the plane crash that killed Senator Paul Wellstone. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you've got one more oh, sentence. Okay, let's see, let's see. Which raises another question for me, David. Where are the old brains and money trusts of the GOP to give life and energy to that kind of effort? Well, it's not going to be me. Well, hold on a second. Where are you going for? I really love how like the whole thing of this is like we need some fresh blood and this and that. Like we need a we need a kick in the pants. He's like, well, where's the old money and the old guard at? <laughs> I love yeah. Well, it's not going to be me. Even in my red hot youth, it's like all right, David. Like we. We never believed you were sexy at any point. <laughs> yeah. When I worked for Bill Buckley at National Review, I didn't see myself well, as a Republican. Okay, that's what he was one of Bill's <laughs> swimming pool boys that he liked to. 100% uh, William F. Buckley has seen David Brooks's cock. <laughs> it may be, it may, may be a non zero chance that he touched it <laughs> and then immediately called him uh, a queer after or something. <laughs> It's like he great. You grab my. We met Buckley's grabbing David Brooks's cock, and we met Buckley saying that that makes David Brooks the queer. Uh, right, know? right. I didn't see myself as a Republican, just a conservative. I maintain a distance from political parties because I think it's always wrong for a writer to align too closely to a party. That's the path to predictability and propagandism. Furthermore. I belong in the American tradition that begins with Alexander Hamilton, 
runs through the Whig Party in Lincoln, and then modernized with Theodore Roosevelt, parts of Reagan and McCain. <laughs> <laughs> just an amazing sentence. Just, just saying a murderer's just... row there. <laughs> I belong to the American tradition. Anyone that starts a sentence with, I belong to the American tradition, that begins oh, with Alexander boy. Hamilton. Um, I wasted years writing essays on how Republicans could maintain this tradition. The party went the other way. Now I think the Democrats are a better Hamiltonian home. Well, I'm part of that same conservative tradition, though maybe with a heavier dose of Milton Friedman. <laughs> our trajectories with the GOP are fairly similar, and so are our lives. <laughs> okay. I'm older than you, but our lives have a number of parallels. Imagine David Brooks is telling you this. You're, like, scooting away from him on the bench. (laughs) (laughs) We both grew up in secular Jewish families, went to the University of Chicago, worked at the Wall Street Journal, served in Brussels for the Journal, and wound up at the Times. Well, that's... Oh, boy. Okay. We also probably had many of the same professors at Chicago, Wonderful teachers like Nathan Tarkov, oh, yes. Ralph Lerner, Love him. Francois Furet. Couldn't get enough and, of them. And Leon and Amy Cass, who taught me that <laughs> lesson favorite. number one was to not succumb to the idea that justice is the advantage of the stronger <laughs> and to always keep an open mind to a powerful counterargument. <laughs> That's not a mindset I see with the current Republican leadership. Me neither, Brett. When people ask me whether they should end a relationship they're in, I answer them with a question. Are the embers dead? (laughs) Okay, I'm wondering what kind of fucking straight-up degenerate goes to David Brooks for relationship advice. Isn't this guy been married, like, several times and, like, doesn't... Didn't he have, like, a sort of weird age gap relationship? Not that, you know... I think those are on a case-by-case basis, but... I think he was his intern. Didn't he marry his, in- his like very young intern? Something like that. Yeah, there was some sort of weird thing with him like that. I oh, yes. That. Yes, the fire seems to be gone. Let me call my friend David Brooks from the New York Times <laughs> and see what he has to say on the subject. Um, man, where is his personal life? Um... He married his former research assistant, writer Ann Snyder. Yeah, his intern, basically, um, who was much younger than him. Um, yeah, going to David Brooks for advice. Presumably, when the relationship started, there was a flame of love. Is some of that warmth still there, waiting to be revived, or is it just stone-cold ash? In my relationship with the GOP, the embers are dead. I look at the recent madness in the house with astonishment but detachment. Isaiah Berlin once declared he belonged to, quote, the extreme right-wing edge of the left-wing movement. And if that location is good enough for old Ike Berlin, it's good enough for me. (laughs) I wouldn't have had trouble calling myself a Republican until 2012 when I started to write pretty critically, if I do say so myself, about the direction (laughs) the party was taking on social issues, immigration, and foreign policy. In 2016, I voted for a Democratic presidential candidate for the first time in my life. But did it again in 2020, mm. and I think of myself as a conservative-minded independent. Mm. If I haven't finalized my divorce from the GOP, we're definitely separated and living apart. Wow. Man, damn. Bars. Mm. Yeah, seriously. Uh, it's like America's a dang couple on the way to divorce court. Damn, what an analogy, Brett. This is why they, this is why they pay you the big bucks. I, s- 
I suppose I went through stages of alienation. By the early 2000s, I came to believe that the free market policies that were right to combat stagnation and sclerosis a few decades earlier were not right for an age of inequality and social breakdown. Then the congressional Republicans began to oppose almost every positive federal good. Even George Bush's compassionate conservative... <laughs> I can't even finish that. George Bush's compassionate conservatism. <laughs> Trump brought the three horsemen of the apocalypse. Immorality, dishonesty, and bigotry. And, and dang self-tanner. <laughs> <laughs> the damn Velveeta Voldemort himself. The party complicit in all that is dead to me. Even though I have to say a good chunk of my friends are, are Republicans. I'm loath to give up completely on Republicans only because I believe a successful democracy needs a morally healthy conservative party. A view shared by my friend, dear friend and colleague, Nancy Pelosi. One that channels conservative psychological tendencies into policies to check heedless progressivism while engaging produ productively with an evolving what world. What the fuck is a conservative psychological t Is he talking about, like, serial killers? Like, Ed Gein. Yeah, well, Ed what Gein are you talking had, about? Ed Gein had conservative psychological tendencies. Oh, my God. Still... The party's road to recovery is going to be long and hard, and it's going to require some courageous and credible conservatives to speak up and denounce the current direction of the party. As for who is going to lead a Republican revival, I guess I'd start in the states. One of Al Fromm's insights in leading the Democratic Leadership Council was that change was going to come from the young and ambitious state legislators, legislators and governors, like Bill Clinton, a new generation of politicians from moderate parts of the country. But the Democrats had a strong incentive to change because they lost a lot of elections between 1968 and 92. The country is now so evenly divided, it takes only a slight shift to produce victory. And nobody has an incentive to rethink his or her party. And of course, when Republicans lose, they console themselves with the thought that it's because the other side cheated. Dude, the funniest thing about this is it doesn't even read like a conversation. <clears throat> it literally reads like a Greek chorus. It's like yeah, people I, just I, making pronouncements. I wonder, like, I wonder how they even like do these. Do they just like trade email pronouncements back and forth and then like turn them in? I don't know. Yeah, the the Gale and Brett method was definitely like a Slack chat. Yeah, David and Brett. It's harder to say. Uh, mm, if the Republican Party is to thrive intellectually and politically, it will have to become a multiracial working class party. <laughs> a lot of people are already thinking along these lines. Warren Cass at American Compass has been pushing a working class agenda. The Trumpish writers and activists who call themselves national conservatives are not my cup of tea, but they do speak in the tone of anti-coastal elite protest that is going to be the melody of this party for a long time to come. Oh, God. To my mind, Yuval Levin is one of the brightest conservatives in America today. He runs a division at the American Enterprise Institute where the debates over the future of the right are already being held. The party will either revive or crack up the way the Whig Party did, but it's going to take decades. If I'm still around to see it, I'll be eating mush and listening to Led Zeppelin Muzak with the other fogies at the Rockefeller Republican Home for the Aged. <laughs> I'm cool, man. It's like, I love that David refers to himself as a Rockefeller Republican. Oh, God. You may well be right about how long it takes, but I don't think it's going to do so as a party of the working class. 
the natural place for the GOP is at the party of economic freedom, <laughs> social aspiration, and moral responsibility. <laughs> A party of risers, if not always of winners. Well, definitely, Brett. De- de- definitely anywhere where accountability is sought for any kind of like moral misdeeds or atrocities definitely the natural place for any political party <laughs> yeah. it's archetypal constituent is the small business owner <laughs> <laughs> It wants less regulation because it understands from experience how well-intentioned ideas from above from above translate into onerous and stupid rules at the ground level. Dude, that's so fucking stupid because that's literally the ideal Democratic Party constituent. It's right, like, right, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, it's yeah, that's they're fighting over the same chuds. Mm. It doesn't mind big business per se, but objects but objects to moralizing CEOs who try to use their size and incumbency to impose left coast ideology. <laughs> <laughs> I like oh my I God. love like once you dig into the weeds of these guys, they literally just co- become Josh Hawley. Like that's yeah, 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 that's yeah, the yeah. only thing that they can come to because their entire worldview is shaped by like intellectual abstract engagement you see that with the fact that david calls himself a rockefeller republican it's like you might as well be calling yourself a whig like something that has no basis in the material construction of the current moment it's just some things you read in a book that sounded good to you it's also embarrassing like this is the kind of things like Remember that guy, William Banks, that writes for that shitty newspaper? It's like, this is the kind of shit that this man, who's almost 40, it just, like, sits around and talks about, like, here's actually my, here's actually the position I've staked out on the uh-huh. political compass. Right, right. And it's like this very specific thing that has no bearing in anything anymore. No, it's not, it has nothing to do with an engagement with the world. It's literally things you read on a page and you say, oh, I think that might be good for me. I think yeah. that that's, I think that that's what I think. It's the it's the like politics guys like INFP <laughs> thing, you know, yeah. like people yeah. love that shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and yeah, anyways, Brett, continue. And it thinks there should be consequences. Uh let's see. Oh. Left coast idea. And it thinks there should be consequences, <laughs> not excuses for unlawful behavior. Definitely. Which means it looks Askance at policies like bail reform and lax law enforcement <laughs> at borders, but at, but but nothing to do with uh, prosecuting a war, uh, prosecuting war criminals or people who destroyed the economy in two thousand eight. No, nothing like that. None of that stuff. The problem is that Trump turned the party into a single-purpose vehicle for cultural resentments. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help that coastal elites do so much on their own to feed those resentments. Oh shit! Bing, bing, bing. David says. We've Fuck. reached a rare moment of disagreement. Your configuration for Republicans was a product of long debates in the 20th century. Size of government's arguments are going to be less salient. Values, identity, and social status issues will be more salient. I think the core driver of politics across the Western democracies is this. In society after society, highly educated professionals have formed a Brahmin class. The top of the ladder go to competitive colleges, marry each other, send their kids to elite schools, and live in the same neighborhoods. This class dominates the media, the academy, Hollywood, tech, and corporate sector. (laughs) (laughs) Many people on the bottom... What are you saying there, David? (laughs) He's getting in a Nepo baby discourse, dude. Yeah. Many people on the middle and bottom have risen up to say, we don't want to be ruled by those guys. To hell with their economic, cultural, and political power. We'll vote for anybody who can smash their machine. 
The Republican Party is the party of this protest movement. It's like, okay, like, I guess I can see points in what he's saying. But where he gets off the rails is that people feel, is, is, is saying that people feel like they have any agency to change any of those things. Yeah. And, like, I also don't, it's, it's weird because, like, what, what he's saying in, like, a Weasley way is that, like, woke ideology is inherent to these, like, closed-off Brahmin, elitist, like, top-tier people in their little coastal enclaves. And that's why it's bad. And that's why there's a revolt against it. And it's, it's like, that, okay, A, the first proposition is wrong. Right. B, <laughs> B, it's like, people, I don't think people are that stupid. I don't think that people just obviously paint the entire thing as a product of, like, you know, dec- decrepit or decaying, like, cultural relativism on behalf of the elites and all this. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's uh, there's all these assumptions in it that are completely wrong. Another anyway. way of thinking about the class partisan divide you're describing is between people whose business is the production and distribution of words, academics, journalists, civil servants, lawyers, intellectuals, oh, and yes. people whose business is the production and distribution of things, manufacturers, drivers, contractors, distributors, and so on. The first group makes the rules for the administrative state. The latter lives under the weight of those rules and will continue to be the base of the GOP. Huh, Brett? (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) By the way, since you mentioned earlier the need for new leaders to come to the states, is there... uh, By the way, since you mentioned earlier that the need for new leaders to come to the states, is there anyone who particularly impresses you? And how do you feel about the quasi-nominee in waiting, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida? Um, I'm slightly bearish about DeSantis. He does a good job of being Trumpy without Trump. But I wonder if a man who apparently has net negative social skills and empathy can really thrive during an intimately covered national campaign that will last two years. Trump is at least funny and to his voters charismatic. Do you have any other candidates on your radar screen? That's so funny that, that he's like, yeah, hey, DeSantis, uh, you know, I'm kind of with it a little bit. I mean, the man has net negative social skills and is a sociopath, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, let's see. Well, okay. <clears throat> oh, this well, is good. Oh, God. This well, I'll good. tell you this. I don't think it'll be either of the mics, Pius Pence or <laughs> Pompous Pompeii. <laughs> He, got, he threw a double at me. He did, Velveteen. He threw a double a double alliteration at me. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Ugh. <laughs> oh, that's like pocket sand. Uh-huh. I like Nikki Haley personally and think she has a good mind and a terrific personal story. You know what's funny? Every time I read these things, like there may be no sort of public person in the punditry that is more disconnected from reality than Brett Stevens in terms of like the viability of people. Yeah. Like there's no universe where Nikki Haley's going to be the president or Pence or Pompeo or anybody. You're going to get no. DeSantis or Trump fucking pick one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm surprised he didn't say Glenn Youngkin. Well, <laughs> it does look like they mentioned him later down though. Anyways. Let's see. But I don't get the sense of much public enthusiasm for her beyond high-level donors. Okay. Which brings me back to DeSantis. 
He seems to have figured out that the GOP sits on a three-legged stool consisting of Trumpist, evangelicals, and the business community. He's earned the respect of the first with his pugilistic jabs at the media, of the second with his attacks on Disney and his parental rights legislation. Mm, that's one way to put it. And of the third with an open-for-business approach to governance that has brought hundreds of thousands of people to Florida. And killed many people during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Next to all that, the personality defects seem pretty surmountable. Oh, this is great. Sigh. He wrote out sigh. Sigh. I can't rebut your logic here. Save us, Glenn Youngkin. <laughs> oh, my God. Final question, David. If you, if you could visit the Vatican, the Vatican <laughs> and take a gander in their... Chrono, chronovision <laughs> device that allows you to view events from the past. <laughs> and you go back to 1995. Is there anything you or anyone or in our circle could have done differently to save the Republican Party from the direction it ultimately took? <laughs> in 1996, Pat Buchanan's sister, Kathleen, worked at the Standard as an executive assistant. A truly I, I sexually <laughs> harassed her. Where is this going? A truly what wonderful woman she was. I was a bit handsy. Just like, just David stepping into the time machine. We got two time, we get two flashbacks in David's long Here, Here's what's life. funny. Here's what's, fu here's, what's fu here's what's funny about this. Somebody comes to you, Terrence, and says, hey, man. Not that anything cool was happening then, but you want to go back to 1995 for a little bit? And you're like, yeah, cool. And like, you're like, I want to go watch Michael Jordan play, or I want to go uh -huh. do this or that. Not David Brooks. David Brooks is like, ah, Pat Buchanan's pa sister. Pat Buchanan's <laughs> sister, Kathleen. <laughs> Man, we had the hots for her. Hubba hubba. <laughs> A truly wonderful woman. We virulently opposed Pat in his presidential run that year. The day after he won the New Hampshire primary, she smiled kindly at us and said something to the effect of, don't worry, I'll protect you guys when the pitchforks come. That's David's story? That's his entire... Wait, 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 wait. So he what? says, you go back to 1990... Uh, say the question was... You go back to 1995. Is there anything you or anyone in our circle could have done differently to save the Republican? Like what? That that's well, just a weird. That's just a weird <laughs> anecdote. <laughs> well, he ha it was like a horny reverie. Like yeah, he was like, thinking well, of, he, yeah, he was <laughs> he like having. Like, yeah, this conversation's boring, oh, Brad. I'm having oh. a masturbatory fantasy oh. about oh. Kathleen Buchanan instead. <laughs> He was tubing. He's tubing to Kathleen Buchanan. <laughs> oh, man. Brett's like, David, 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 back. Come on, Wake we up. got a column today. <laughs> uh, given what happened to the standard, it didn't work out as promised. I wish we had taken that Buchanan victory more seriously since it was the precursor of what was to come. He was friends with Pat Buchanan. He's fucking worked at the Weekly Standard. What the yeah. fuck are you talking about? I wish we had pivoted our conservatism even faster away from, sorry, Wall Street Journal editorial page ideas and come up with conservative approaches to inequality, deindustrialization, racial disparities, etc. I wish, in other words, that our mentality mentalities had shifted faster. That's so it, funny. It's like, I wish... We, 
I, I wish we could have some way, uh, all the ideas that are part and parcel to our worldview, I wish we could have just, you know, put, Not made them more palatable. <laughs> That's amazing. In truth, I don't believe it would have made any difference. Authoritarian populism is a global phenomenon. The Republicans were destined to turn more populist. The big question is... Do they continue on the path to authoritarianism? Motherfucking authoritarianism. <laughs> look, I look back at the world of conservative ideas I grew up in. Professionally speaking, I see a lot worth holding on to. George Kelling and James Q. Wilson on crime. That's broken windows, by the way. They, that, that's literally <laughs> the broken windows theory. Like, that's what he's, that's what he referenced there. Nicholas Eberstadt on social breakdown linda chavez on immigration shelby still on racial <laughs> shelby foot on racial <laughs> issues <laughs> gary kasparov on the threat of vladimir putin gary so kasparov on. on the threat of vladimir putin <laughs> i don't think the idea is it would have been funny if it'd been like shelby foot on racial issues <laughs> I don't think the ideas were the core problem, even if not every one of them stands the test of time. The problem Charles that- Murray on the bell curve. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways. The, the, problem, the problem was when the illiberal barbarians were at the conservative <laughs> gates, the gatekeepers had a catastrophic loss of nerve. Wow. Whether it's too late to regain that nerve is, to me, the ultimate question. I thought you were riffing there for a second. He really does say that. Hold the on problem was when the liberal barbarians were at the conservative gates, they lost their nerve. Okay, huh. so what are they saying? They think that a uh, uh, bunch of National Review guys and Buckleyites should have went down there and they're like little sack suits and said, no, 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 invading hordes. <laughs> this is the conservative line. Either you're on this side or that side. And then immediately they just get murdered. Well, along. But the thing is, is like if I click on that still Shelby Steele on racial issues, the art, the name of that article is Race and Responsibilities. Hmm, I wonder what that article says. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what ideas, what illuminating, enlightened ideas that article says. I would say a lot of the things I heard as a young white man growing up in the South probably were not too far off from what's <laughs> mentioned there. It's like, what? It's this, dude, it is a strange, strange sentence. He lists all these extraordinarily reactionary views that he looked up to. Then he says, the problem was that when the liberal barbarians were at the conservative gates, the conservative gatekeepers lost their nerve. So what is he saying there? Is it like... Is he saying, like, basically that the standard bearers of, like, the party and, I guess, the ideology at large, like, sort of kowtowed to the Trumpists and the Tea Partiers and everything? Like, basically that they should have, like, you know, said, no, this is coat and tie only, sorry. And, like, just sort of, like, turned the shabby away at the door, you know? <laughs> I guess turned the so. riff. They should have turned the riffraff away is what he's saying. Basically, what? Yeah, he's like, I, uh, I looked up to these basically Nazi Third Reich thinkers and ideas <laughs> yeah. in my youth, but they eventually lost their nerve holding back 
I don't know, the even more <laughs> but, insanely yeah. right way. But, but yeah. <laughs> but when poor people adopt when when poor and working people started adopting their views, well that's right. where I drew the line. That's where I drew the line, <laughs> sir. I guess that's what I it's it's what it is, it's like you gotta also keep in mind that both of these assholes, their entire careers has been hedging. So it's like you know, it's oh, yeah. it's it's their own form of edging. They're hedging. Yeah. They're yeah, constantly going to be hedging. To me, like this type of pundit is like uh, constantly saying, I was right about things I wasn't right about. And uh-huh. also, do you know, but you know, one person's hedging is one person's dialectics, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, damn. I feel comprehensively, comprehensively stupider. Bef- now than I did before we started that. So. Uh, a particularly maddening thing is I will never truly know if guys like this really believe this shit or if this is like strictly <laughs> they've adopted an aesthetic and like got jobs as like thinkers based on that aesthetic. Like, uh-huh. like I- surely no learned man. Well, I don't know. They, they, they became learned at the University of Chicago. So maybe... Uh, giving them too much credit but well I, sometimes like, i wonder yeah i mean the funny thing is that you can't even keep david on track it's like every five minutes brett's asking him a question and he's having a memory to like necking in an oldsmobile in 1972 he's like oh uh. sweetie baby <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah hey kathleen oh. can do you want to be my sweetheart <laughs> oh yeah Wake up, David. <laughs> David, wake up. They <laughs> <laughs> like got his hands in his fans like, oh, man. Just pocket pulling. <laughs> okay. Oh, All right. Well, that's the conversation. We had a conversation. Oh, yeah, we listen. sussed things out. We sussed and we sussed some more. God damn. If you, fucking... if you want some more sus. Yeah, go to Patreon. You know... I poured my heart out on the Patreon on Sunday. Indeed. And all of you who deleted your Patreon subscriptions because, oh, Terrence said some stupid things about COVID being made in a lab. Well, you missed out on the uh, best screen adaptation <laughs> ever made. Yeah. Uh, so I hope, you, hope you're happy. hope you can live with yourself. Yeah. Um I wrote we wrote a treatment for a new film, dude. I wanted to talk about Avatar actually today, but you know what? I'll just have to wait. I'll have to wait for another day because I think I'm gonna go see it again. God, that's right. That's Ish. how James Cameron's slaying the box office. Uh huh. Yeah, I've heard a lot of Double people dipping. tweet and they're like, you know what? Avatar supposed to be, Avatar two is supposed to be the biggest movie in the world right now, but I don't know anybody that's seen it, and it's like. The Cameron guys might not be numbers wise mm-hmm. the biggest contingency, but they go back. They keep they go going back. back. Yeah, they kept. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, Interesting. Well, we wrote a little bit of a treatment, not a full screenplay. We're gonna get to that, but a little bit of a treatment for our own vision of a cinematic universe, and that's at Patreon. You can find P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Joe Workers Party. Go look that up. For you won't regret $5 it. $5 a month. It's cheap. You can pay $5 to hear the stupidest shit you've ever heard in your life. 
Where else can you get something like that? <laughs> huh? I challenge you in today's media landscape, where else can you spend five dollars and come away feeling all silly about it? Nowhere else, friends. Nowhere else. Only here. That's my challenge to you. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for oh, listening shit. this week. We will see you next time. Goodbye. See you out there.